0: Shalom, and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz.
1: If you did not yet, if you do not get the source sheet that I'm going to be using in the Shabbat bulletin, I'll read through the sources that I'm going to be using. You also can use your humash that you had out before, because we're going to be using most of, if not all of, actually, the last Aliyah that Max just read for us. So Exodus chapter 10, verses 7 through 12. And then any of the commentaries that we go over, um, I'm happy to read aloud in case you don't have the text in front of you. I'm sorry that the document says Vayera on it. Uh, I was preparing it during Shabbat Vayera, uh, but, but now we are in Parshat Bo. So this is from Parashat Bo, and we're going to be discussing it a bit. Sometimes I come to these teachings with, you know, a a real lesson I want us to take away from a piece of Torah that I looked at and and found really intriguing. And sometimes I come because I want to share something that was interesting to me that either I never noticed before or that I think uh, has deeper meaning to it than that we might that we might ascribe to it as, as we're going through uh, the Parsha. So this is the latter case. Um, I'm sure there will be a lesson that we will come up with at the end, but I'm not coming into this with a, what we would say like a hop at the end. I'm not coming into this with an idea of this is what you should take away. This is something that I, when reading through the parsha, was very interested in the language and in kind of the dance that is done between Pharaoh Moshe and Aaron here. Um, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts and curious to hear your um, your teachings on on this particular piece of our text. So again, we're going to start with chapter 10, verse 7, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 12. I'm gonna read through them um, pretty straight. I might make a few comments in the middle, but I want us to read it through as a complete story, and then if you have thoughts on it, um, we'll go back verse by verse. Those of you who do have the source sheet in front of you, I gave you Many too many commentaries. We're not gonna to get to all of them, but I wanted to add anything that I thought was interesting to the topic um, so that we could both discuss it tonight, but also so that you could read it uh in your in your own free time if you would like. So this is the beginning of our Parsha, of Parshat Bo. And it starts by Yomer I'm going to hold this close to my face, sorry. of Avdei Faro Elav Ad Matai Zelanu Lemokesh. So Pharaoh's people, the, the people who work for Pharaoh, said to him, until when are you going to have this be a hard thing on us? Right? Are you going to these these, right, the plagues are happening? So how long are you going to let this go on, basically? How long is this hardship going to be happening to us? Shalach <laughs> Eta Anashim. Send away the people. Ve'ya'avdu et Hashem Ha'terem teda avda Mitzrayim. So let them go and let them worship their God. Interesting that the word evet is being used here both for Pharaoh and for the way in which they practice towards God. But let them go and be with their people. Let them go and praise their God, worship their God. Have you not yet come to know that we've lost Egypt? This was what caught my eye, this phrase right here, right? That Pharaoh's people are basically coming to him. If if you're interested in the other ways that I'm that I am curious around how Pharaoh's people talk to him, you can listen to the podcast uh, that Rabbi Shapiro and I did this past week. But it's interesting that this really powerful guy is being spoken to by his lowly Men, as this is pointing out, it right, doesn't seem like these are women who are speaking to him, but people who work for and with him, and saying, "Hey, sir, do you not recognize that you, the place that you think you're in charge of has completely lost it? You no longer have any control. We've lost what you consider to be Egypt." So listen to how it continues, but that's the reason that I'm, that is, that one line is the reason that I brought this whole, this whole story for us. So Moses and Aaron, this is verse eight, Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh and he said to them, go and worship Adonai, your God. Who are the ones to go? All right, go on your way, but tell me who's leaving. I need to know for my own census, so to speak, who's going to be gone and who's going to stay with me. Verse 9, Moses replied, "We will all go." This was the second thing that caught my eye. Young and old, sons and daughters, our flocks and herds, for we must observe the Lord's festival, Chag Hashem Lanu, Chag Adonai Lanu. So, who's going to go? Pharaoh's expecting that Moses is just going to say, "Oh, the men," of course, because if we're going to if we need to worship our God, and this is what the the commentators say. If we're going to worship our God, then we only need the men to do that. But Moses Moses's answer is much more inclusive than that, and he says, "Oh, we're all going. As soon as you let us go, we're all out of here. Young, old, men, women, everybody is leaving because we all need to worship God." So this is a, this is a really a hut of his time egalitarian statement to say. You might think that this is only important to the men, but in fact, we're all getting out of here because our connection to God is not just for the men. It's for all of us. That might be a little bit of my drash, but that seems to be what Moshe, Moshe is saying. Verse 10, but he said to them, uh, Pharaoh said to them, I don't I be with you the same as I mean to let your children go with you. Clearly you are bent on mischief. Now I'm going to read this in Hebrew because it's not actually what it says in the Hebrew. So, God will be with you. So, I will send you and your children. So, it doesn't really say you're bent on mischief, though I guess colloquially that might be what it means, but literally it says that the, that there is evil or badness that is Uh, against your face, right? Meaning like in front of you or, or, um, uh, across from you, right? Neged is, is something against or across, or you can see it. And Pnechim is your face. So bent on mischief, like, okay, that's what, that's how JPS is understanding it. But it seems to actually be much more personal that this is happening in front of them to their faces, Pharaoh is still talking here. No, you, it does say men here, Gvarim, you men folk, go and worship Adonai, since that is what you want. So Pharaoh's basically saying, wait a second here, you can't take everybody, you're just going to take the men, because that's what you want. And they were expelled from Pharaoh's presence. Moshe and Aaron were, were expelled from Pharaoh's presence. So in verse 12 then, what happens? Another plague. Adonai said to Moses, hold out your arm over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat up all the grasses in the land, whatever the hail has left. So we don't hear Moses and Aaron say, sorry, that's not good enough for us. We're not going to leave until you let all of us go. But it's very clear that that is what happens because they stay and there's another plague. So though Pharaoh says, sure, the men can leave, Moshe seems to be saying, no, we're not going to go until all of us can go. So that was the third thing that was very interesting to me that I had never focused on before. So before we go on to commentaries, um, I just want to hear thoughts. Anybody have any thoughts, comments? Maybe you've spent more time looking at these verses than I have in my past. Uh, Yes, Alan, go ahead. Just unmute first. I think you should be able to. There we
2: go. go. All right. It, it's hi, Shabbat Shalom and Happy New Year. It seems to me, just looking at this, that it's not doing mischief. It's like he's, he wants everyone to go because that's what God commanded him to do. That all the people are supposed to go, and this may be a pretext to Pharaoh it's a, to go out just for three days, thinking we'll let them go. But when all the children and everyone else is going to go, they're going to leave and not come back because that was the that was what they were. Commanded to do. That's what Moses would commanded to lead everyone away. Great. So it just seems to me this is just the pretext to put one over on Pharaoh.
1: Great, great. So yeah, it's possible that Moshe is is not as creatively thinking uh, as we might as we might want to say that he is. But that God told him, told him that everyone has to leave. So when Pharaoh says no, just the men can go, Moses says, well, that's not what I was told. I have to follow the rules. Everyone needs to leave, and so then more of these plagues are put on Pharaoh until they're all told they can leave. Yes, Tamar, go ahead.
3: I think that um, Pharaoh wants to put conditions on things, and I think that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm.
1: Great. Yeah, Pharaoh's trying to say, well, I want it to be, You can have. This... you can have 20% but Moshe's saying, no no, I'm I'm not letting this go until you give me a hundred percent. And Moshe's basically saying, Well, okay, well then you're gonna continue having these plagues fall upon you because the conditions don't work for us. Great. Other thoughts, comments? Yeah, Tom. <laughs> um
2: I think it's. In, I just think it's interesting that Pharaoh asks. I mean, if he hadn't said, "Who are the ones to go?" It would, yeah. the conversation could have ended there. You know, why did? Why is? I mean, Pharaoh's obviously trying to exert control, and uh, um, he, he doesn't mean it when he says "go" because he's putting conditions on it. But it's still kind of interesting that he, could, you know, he could have not asked.
1: Right. Yeah, it's interesting that he has any interest in it whatsoever, right? That that it matters to him who's still there. That he, I, I don't. Maybe I wouldn't go as far as to say he cares about who these people are who he might be left with, but that he has some kind of relationship with who's around. That knowing who's going to either go or be left with him is, for some reason, interesting to him. Yeah, Joanna.
3: Just I'm noticing the parallels in these few verses to um, the story of Jacob leaving Levan. and um, there's also a moment when he does like an admatai with Laban, mm-hmm. and um, and also like the em- there's such emphasis in the Levan story that Yaakov left not only with his family but with his flock also, mm-hmm. and again here that that echo of the flock. Mm-hmm. Um, And just seeing, you know, sort of the inverse here and that that, you know, that story is the microcosm for what happens now. Um,
1: Interesting. It's it's always so um, fascinating to put stories right. I don't think we would ever say that Levon is like a pharaoh character. Right. So it's always interesting to put those parallels together where. We're clearly working with similarities in stories, but not similarities in characters. Um, and but you're right that there's there is some kind of detail oriented uh, detail oriented piece to what is leaving, similar to Tom's question of like why I need to even know that, but what is leaving and the and the conditions around who is leaving, when are they leaving, are they coming back, all of those pieces. Okay, lots of hands just popped up. Joe and then Rabbi Sean and then Alan.
2: Hi um I think it's also quite interesting. It kind of illustrates how delusional Pharaoh is at this point. It opens with you know you've lost Egypt effectively there's all these plagues going on. the country is the you know the infrastructure, so to speak, is being laid barren and ruined yeah it, his biggest concern here is is you know the our slaves are going to go escape, and they're not going to come back right.
1: Uh, yeah and that that was the part to me as well that was so fascinating that first that first line those last four or five words whatever it was in the beginning verse right that that his people his courtiers need to be the ones to say to him Hello, have you not seen outside? Have you not noticed what is happening? Our Nile is full of blood, we just had a bunch of hail, right? Have you not kind of taken scope as to what what's happening around you? How much longer can this possibly go on? And yet here he is nickel and diming for every person who's going to be still in the land or not. There's no land to really care about anymore. So it's a really a really fascinating point as to what he's focusing on um, in, in this moment here. Okay, Rabbi Sean. Oh, you just muted yourself.
0: <laughs> yes. Hi. Uh, I, I will just build on, on that last comment and ask the question, whom is he speaking to? He has at least three different audiences. Yeah. Potentially separate from each other or together mm-hmm. as you just said right the of day Pharaoh the servants of Pharaoh ironically as you po- uh, pointed out his his cabinet his inner circle whoever this is yeah the second audience of course is Moses and Aaron and or is he just pushing back to God. And I I just think that the truth is probably yes. And that he's aware of these multiple audiences or constituencies or, um, you know, competitors. And um, he's a pretty stressed out uh, evil villain. He's, He's demonstrating his confusion, perhaps.
1: Yeah, that is, that's great. I, I hadn't thought there, there's confusion in reading this in terms of who is he speaking to and who's speaking and, and who's listening. But I hadn't thought about how there's three very distinct characters, or as you said, audiences listening, um, or, or speaking in the, in the case of the ode Paro. Uh, and, and what does that mean about the the narrative that he's sharing also because if at the end it's to God or maybe just to to himself kind of in a rage uh, that it's a very different story that he is that he 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 gets into a bit of anger at the end here whereas at the beginning uh, you know which, which your lovely husband shared with us you know he he asks well who who are you people who's who's leaving so. It seems that there is an element of kind of relational understanding at the beginning. And then by the end, when he's back in his own head or talking to God, all of a sudden he recognizes, oh, wait a second. I need to go along with my with my plan from before. And we need to stick this one out. Eh, Very good. Love that. Uh, Alan, wait, you're muted. You might be talking, but you're
2: muted. Uh, (laughs) All right. Last week. Joel Grossman gave a drosh specifically dealing with the similarities between the Jacob story and the Moses story, particularly when they're first coming out, the meeting at the well, they get married very quickly after they have meat breaking bread together. Mm -hmm. And Joanna's point about this is coming in in terms of farther along in the Jacob story with Laban and coming up here is something that is just mind blowing that 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 the motif keeps on appearing Mm -hmm. to highlight the stories about Mm -hmm. and you know Joel made it the point that they wound up both being leaders of what was going to take place in terms Mm -hmm. of Jacob's sons being you know in Judah we are Yehudim we are Jews following that and it was Moshe who actually saved the Jewish people by leading them out of Mitzrayim Mm -hmm. so the, the maybe it's those parallels are there for that particular reason could it be coincidence I don't think so. I think that Joanna's right. There's really a real connection between the stories that could maybe even be explored even further.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I it was a beautiful drop. And those who didn't didn't hear it should listen to it. I'm sure it's on um, on the podcast somewhere. Um the, the elements of parallelism all over the Torah are really fascinating. And as I once learned from my teacher and friend, Rabbi Sean Fieldsmeyer, there's also an economy of language in the Torah. And so the fact that so much of the Torah has themes that are shared, whether in words or in character developments, uh, which you're both speaking to in terms of Jacob, Right. As you were sharing that, I was thinking about how Jacob also leads the people in a certain extent out of a place and into another. And Moshe's is a little bit more dramatic, but there there is also that bringing a people together to take them and do something great with them um, that that Jacob and Moshe share. So could it be that those parallels are, are meant to be, are meant to be noticed probably uh, because we're probably supposed to understand that one person can bring a lot of people together and, and do wonderful, beautiful things with them in community. Um, okay, let's look at a few, let's look at a few commentaries here. Again, we're not going to look at all of them. It's two full pages of commentaries. Um, so I I really enjoyed this Ibn Ezra commentary. It's the first one on the page if you're looking at the source sheet. And it says here, Pharaoh's oh, he's commenting on the words and Pharaoh's servants said, right? That the Veyamru, that that the Ode Paro said to Pharaoh, which is surprising in of its own, you know, case in terms of servants speaking to their master. So Ibn Ezra comments the meaning of Haterem Teida you well, let's not use the Shakespearean English here, let's use the real words. Um have you have you come to not yet know, right? Do you not yet see or not yet understand? Is according to Ibn Ezra, do you first want it to become clear to you that Egypt is destroyed? Right? Would you rather just sit around, have all of these plagues happen to you? end up sitting, I'm thinking of like those doomsday movies where like everything is bombed all around them or you know the futuristic movies where something terrible has happened and the earth no longer exists but there's one guy usually like Will Smith or someone like standing in the middle of desolate land and looking around like well okay now what right that is just a, a, a fascinating a fascinating thing for Ibn Ezra to even imagine that, that Pharaoh actually wants to see it all the way through, right? He is not worried, or he doesn't care, one of the two, that the land, that the community could become completely destroyed. He wants, he's stubborn. He wants to stick to his guns and make sure that everything goes his way. So, so though it's on, only in quotes, a commentary. I think this is very possible that Ibn Ezra is tapping into a stubborn Pharaoh, which we know we know he either is or at times becomes, based on um, God's intervening of, of uh, hardening his heart. Okay, Chizkuni then says. They now questioned Pharaoh's judgment by asking him if he wanted to wait until the whole of Egypt was ruined. They implied that if Egypt were to be ruined, in the end, Pharaoh would have no option but to give in to the Israelites' demands. Why not give in while Egypt was still a functioning nation? Again, really interesting, right? Why would you wait until your nation has completely gone away where you're going to have no control any longer because there's going to be nothing to control, then say yes to something. When even in saying yes, you're going to have control over what's left versus waiting until it's all gone. And you too are probably also gone. And then, and and we know this actually from the end, from the end of our story, Pharaoh looks like a very weak leader by the end because he basically, after a terrible plague, obviously, but he basically says, okay, that's it. My hands are up. The white flag is, is being, um, waved. And, and I'm done here. But that's not a moment of strength. That's a moment of weakness. So what, what Hizkuni is saying here is why not be a strong leader and say I'm going to go up against this while it's still a fight, as opposed to I'm just going to wait until it's all destroyed and then I have to give in. Fascinating. Yeah, Alan, go ahead.
2: Even at the very end, Pharaoh's stubbornness is there because even after he lets everyone go. What does he do? He sends the chariots with him at the front to go and get them. It's like
3: that
2: is even when rationally it wouldn't make sense to do, potentially, if he were to listen to his uh, uh, servants who were speaking to him. But in the end, he just ignores everyone says, I've got to get these Jews. I've got to get this arm. I have to destroy them. I can't let them go.
1: But true, for sure, and I think that the last plague, given what the last plague is, I think shows, and again, understandably, because it's a it's a terrible thing to happen even to our worst enemy, that that It is a moment of weakness. Of I can't have anything like this happen ever again. So they need to leave. And then it dawns on him. Wait a second. What did I just do? Let me go after them. So you are completely correct. It just doesn't seem like Hale is really pulling at his heartstrings yet. Um, which which makes sense. Though it was fiery Hale. So you know, it could have it could have been that it was really really destructive. Okay. Um. Oh, this is also interesting. The Tur HaRuch, we're, we're skipping Rabbeinu Bachia for a second. Um, the Torah HaRuch says that it, he's commenting on um, the, in the in the verse, it says here. I'm just going to read it inside so you can hear what it says. Give me one second. Oh, it's bringing two verses together because this this actually isn't here in this one verse. Okay. Well, what it's, what, um, what the Torah Rukh is commenting on. Okay. What the Torah Rukh is commenting on is that, is that this word is, is being brought in here, which means to go out, right? Moshe and Aaron leave Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's presence. So it's kind of, it's bringing in two verses in the same. Sorry about that. Um, they waited until Moses had left as they did not want to challenge their king in Moses's presence and they did not want to give Moses the satisfaction to know that they were afraid of him. So this is um, this is real world leadership, right? And and real world uh, work, right? When you are working in any kind of power dynamic, whether it is in a business or in a classroom or in your own family, right? Your your partner, for example, might not choose to argue with you in front of your children because you want to seem like a united front in front of your children. In a classroom, the principal should not come in and say something to you in front of your class that might be embarrassing to you, because in that situation, you are the leader of your classroom, right? You're you're the person in charge of the students in front of you. Um, and so what the Torah Ruch is saying here is that Moses and Aaron were were told to go, or at least left the presence of Pharaoh, and only then did the courtiers say to Pharaoh, you've you really got this all wrong. So even though we don't necessarily have so much respect for Pharaoh and his leadership, it does seem as though his Ode Paro, his servants, were interested in giving him advice, but not interested in throwing him under the bus, um, and, and I just I find that I find that quite um, remarkable that even if their idea was a good one and it might have helped them get what they wanted to say it in front of Moses, they still waited for, to be respectful to their to their leader. Okay. So Rambam, we're now moving to the, to the part of, Rambam, excuse me, um, Nachmanides says on verse 8, where we're talking about who is going to leave. Pharaoh desired that their leaders, elders, and officers should go, men that are pointed out by name. So Mo, uh, Pharaoh, excuse me, really wanted the men to be able to be the ones to leave, which we kind of infer from how he talks about why they're leaving, Moses answers him that also the sons and daughters will go for we must hold a feast unto God and it is mandatory upon us all to take part in the feast so what Ramban what Nachmanides is pointing out here is well if we're giving you the reason for why we need to leave then I actually need all the men and the women because it's their mitzvah too we don't just celebrate holidays just us we celebrate holidays with our daughters and our wives and our female slaves right all of these All of these people who you aren't taking into account who need to leave to to be servants of God, they too are servants of God, maybe in a different way than you understand, but they too need to celebrate this festival. Pharaoh's anger was then kindled on account of the sons and daughters, and he said that under no circumstances will he send the little ones, for they take no part in the offerings. Instead, he would send all the adult males because of the feast which Moses mentioned, while the little ones and the women will remain in Egypt. This is scarily um, uh, parallel to different parts of Jewish history where we have been persecuted and, and sent out of places right the holocaust obviously is is a very big one to use as an example here that the person in charge of getting rid of or enslaving or whatever's happening at that moment in history our people seems to know more seems to think that they know what we need Right, seems to know that, oh, in order for, um, right, Pharaoh seems to think that the the kids can stay because they don't take part in the offerings. Well, when was the last time that Pharaoh gave a sacrifice to our God? Right, never. So what does he know of our practices? Nothing. But in order for a leader to take control, they have to at least convince themselves that they know what what we are doing and what will be um, hardest for us to carry. So, what Nachmanides is is making up, though I don't mean that in like a fantastical way, but as a way of explanation, what what Nachmanides is saying here is that Pharaoh was convinced that the men were the only ones who needed to do what Moses and Aaron had said they were leaving to do. And therefore, well, no, then the women and, and children have to stay. And what we all know that, Pharaoh seems to not remember is that if the if the children and the women stay, he really doesn't have anybody doing his work for him. So it's also interesting that he's he does want to keep somebody. Probably similar to like keeping collateral, right? If we're going to talk about people that way. He wants to keep somebody around, but he's not keeping the people around who are actually going to be most useful to him in terms of building, potentially useful to him in other really terrible ways, but, but not in terms of the cities that he was building with these servants. Any questions or comments? Now we've done a few, uh, a few commentaries since people spoke. So I just want to pause for a second. No. Okay. All right. We're just gonna do, I think, two more, and then we'll do a quick marave. Um Just trying to decide which ones. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So let the the Hizkuni here. The Hizkuni here is pretty interesting. Actually, we might just just do this one because the other ones are pretty similar to what we um, to what we just read. The last one, by the way, is. Is fully Hasidic text, and, and we're not going to do it just because it would take too long to read it, explain it, comment on it. But it, it's an interesting text, um, and it does bring in parallels to Jacob to the Jacob story by way of Esau, So, if you're interested in that, please take a please take a look. So, Chizkuni um, is then talking about this moment of dismissing them, of dismissing Moshe and Aaron. And it's Haskuni goes into saying that it actually means that he expelled them. Uh which, you know, okay, maybe. Um, but, but interesting that somehow that's different than dismissing, right? Expel, you would assume they're not going to come back. We all know that they obviously do. The reason that Pharaoh had not expelled Moses and Aaron up until now, before they had been recalled, when they were not even allowed to leave before having been given express permission to do so, was because they knew that God would not bring on the same plague a second time. Pharaoh considered locusts as a repeat on the, of the hail as both plagues ruined the food supply from the earth. It's just a fact. I I would love uh, to be able to interview some of these commentators because I just think that sometimes what they comment, like but how they came up with this, I have absolutely no idea. But it is interesting that, that maybe it had to do with the type of plague. Maybe it had to do with... The destruction that had been done to the country, to the land, that made Pharaoh feel one way or the other uh, about about the people, but also about when they were going to be able to um, to leave. And so, what Chizkuni is saying here is that there's no way that that this plague that's kind of already done the same thing twice was going to happen again. And so who knows what the next one's going to be. It might not be, might not be as bad, but it also might not be um, as destructive as a, his courtiers seem to think and be they've seen now in the land. Um, yeah. Rebecca, go ahead.
3: Um, yeah. Sort of going along that line. I was, I don't remember if this is the sixth or the seventh plague, but basically they've been through quite a few and they're still, they're still standing. So my my um I'm wondering here if really Pharaoh is not just making this accommodation for his servants or his his people to say, okay, I'll try something, but he doesn't really mean it at all. It's really just done, you know, he's 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 saying, okay, I'll let a few of you go because my servants are bugging me and i'll you know i'll make the people at home you know it will seem like i'm doing something about this plague but actually he's not because because he's seen all along six or seven plagues in and they're still okay you know he's surviving
1: interesting so you're saying that the reason that he was okay letting some go is because by unloading a little bit of the burden that people might see, oh, he is being helpful to us and not think of it as so bad. And so then maybe the plagues would either not be as bad moving forward or would up would be lifted. Is that what you're saying?
3: Yeah, that it's more of a political move yeah. rather than a trying to find a real solution. Interesting. I mean, yeah, there are parallels to politics these days as totally. well. Right. Sure. Sure.
1: Like giving a little, but not giving the whole thing. So you can say, oh, but I did a little bit. And so that's, that's helpful. You know, like the opposite of if you give a mouse a cookie, that's right. Uh, very interesting. I hadn't thought about the, the men and women and children piece in that way, but that is a, that's a fascinating way of looking at it. Um, okay. So just before we go into, into Marie, I started off by saying, I didn't necessarily have like a lesson for us to take away from this. I think it was just really an experience in terms of looking at Torah, which I've looked at this Parsha many, many times in my life, but to be able to look at Torah and see certain things kind of pop out at you that are interesting based on whether there is something in my life that subconsciously made me look at this, I have no idea. but Or if it's just interesting to see this piece of Torah read in you know, the first week of 2022, um, and how we think about those who give us ideas, those who we listen to, those who we don't listen to, um, how, how Moshe describes and is willing to really fall on the sword for all of his people, not just gonna leave some behind, but I'm gonna take everybody with me. But we're seeing three major elements in this very small, Vignette. I'm not sure if you can call it that, but Tom can tell me later. And this really, really small story, right? That that. We see different characters holding on to things that they find very true um, and I think we we all just need to be more aware of that in our own lives who we listen to how we listen how we lead uh, and and how we consider those around us to be the people who we're gonna always keep together and not and not let anybody go by the wayside. So I hope that was good insight and interested into a part of um, our Torah that I'm sure we've all just glossed over before and hope that you can sit with that throughout the week uh, and enjoy any insights that come to you on it. You have been
0: listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts.